Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. This is study 18 in Acts of the Apostles, uh, drawn from Acts chapter 19, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 41. It is all about success and trouble in Ephesus. Some time has passed since the main events we started to read about in the last study. Since Paul left Corinth, he has been to Jerusalem and Antioch, travelled through the area he has already been to in the south of what is now Turkey, and then travelled overland to Ephesus in West Turkey. As already noted, Ephesus was a large city, third largest in the empire, and correspondingly important both to Rome and the developing churches. Though it is interesting to note that in the book of Revelation, the church in Ephesus is warned that if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place. And they did not repent, and the city no longer exists today except as ruins. We read then in chapter 19, the first seven verses. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. This episode has clearly been put next to that about Apollos not knowing the baptism of Jesus. This time the situation is much clearer. Although they are called disciples, they did not have the gift of the Holy Spirit. When asked whether they had received the Holy Spirit, their reply was literally, We have not heard that the Spirit is. Probably meaning something like, We have not heard that the Spirit is available to the likes of us. John had spoken about the Spirit, so they must have known of his existence. Question 1. They answered, no. What can we conclude from that? They recognized his non-action in their lives. Although we do not need to experience any particular event or activity to know we have the Spirit when we set out to follow Jesus, his presence will become obvious in our lives. Because there had been doubt in this particular case about their status in Christ, Paul placed his hands on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, none of which always happened. Again we see there was no essential pattern in what happened. Following Jesus and experiencing the gift of the Holy Spirit are the two essentials. Now we read chapter 19, verses 8 to 16. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively 
about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That all the Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord sounds like an exaggeration when they had no television or radio, but there were no newspapers to read as well, so they had a lot of time to talk and gossip, and there will have been many travellers between the cities. Question 2. Why do we find it so much more difficult to get everyone to hear the word of the Lord than they did? We cannot control the media, and in many countries there is a careful exclusion of Christians from the main media outlets, usually because of competing ideologies or religions. This in verses 13 to 14 is magic. Not in the sense of tricks and sleight of hand, but in the sense of using occult practices or evil spirits, as they are called here. Question 3. What is the essential difference between magic and miracle? There are probably many answers to that question. The one I like is this. Magic is the deliberate manipulation of evil spirits by the use of spells, incantations, rituals and other devices to achieve a desired end. Miracles are events carried out in response to a developed relationship between an individual and the Creator and Redeemer, God. Question 4. Where in this passage do we hear of the direct challenge of miracles to magic? God did extraordinary things using handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul. This was a use of spiritual power. That this was so successful was a tribute to the power in Paul because of his relationship to God, not the manipulation by other people. But the attempt to use the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches was an attempt to use an incantation without any relationship behind it, which was magic. Question 5. Where in your culture can you see similar things happening? Of course I cannot answer that one for you in detail, 
Note that the idea that icons or texts from the Bible or any other religious book can protect one from accidents on the road, etc., is a playing with the occult that is highly dangerous. All sorts of superstitions are similarly very doubtful indeed and to be avoided. The idea that there is any value in astrology is similarly dangerous. If you are following Christ truly, you will avoid these and all sorts of other dangerous practices that may attempt to manipulate spirits or even the Lord God himself. Next we read verses 17 to 22. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy, and Erastus to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Ephesus was a major centre of occult practices. The value of what was burnt equates to something like 50,000 days' pay for a labourer, not that they would have been the ones owning the scrolls. This was clearly a major turning point in the life of the city. Would that the name of the Lord Jesus were held in high honour in many more cities today. Question 6. Is there anything you should be burning or dumping? Up to you. I hope not, though. We read verses 23 to 31. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines in Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar, and people seized Gaius, and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theatre. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, 
sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. Question 8. For the second time in this chapter, Christian faith is called The Way. What does this title emphasise? If you start on a way and don't go forward, you will soon be stuck in the middle of the path. We must go forward, grow in our faith, move from baby food to adult food, walk in step with the Spirit. We must not say, I am saved, I don't need to do anything else. We look and are plain stupid if we act like that. Also, if we are on a way, we are going somewhere. Our somewhere is glory, the kingdom of God, the near presence of Christ, heaven, the new earth and the new heaven. Demetrius was a sort of shop steward type. You can't blame him. The silversmiths would need to develop some new trades if Christianity prevailed. Paul wanted to go into the theatre, a huge amphitheatre still existing, presumably thinking he was the cause of the trouble and should take the wrath of the mob rather than Gaius and Aristarchus. But his friends realised he would be in greater danger than they were. And now we read the rest of the chapter, verses 32 to 41. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemius of the Ephesians! The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then... Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anyone, the courts are opened, and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. We don't know who Alexander was or why he was pushed forward. Possibly he was to represent the non-Christian Jews, planning to say that they had nothing to do with what was happening. Fortunately, the local Roman official turned up and had sufficient strength of mind and enough authority to quieten things down. I expect it took him quite a while to calm his nerves down afterwards. Luke presents this as the culminating event in Paul's missionary travels. The story of Jesus, the way, had challenged one of the greatest cults of the ancient world, the cult of Artemis, 
the Greek equivalent of the Roman god Diana, in the place of its greatest influence, and come out triumphant. And that's the end of this study. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something added to help you in your life as a Christian disciple. Thank you.